All right, we are back for another great episode of Black Equity Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Moultrie, and this is quite the time for us uh, as we're looking at the headlines and paying attention to uh, the different opportunities that may be in front of us. Uh, If you are new here, typically what we are doing, um, at least this season, is we are uh, reviewing the information from over the weekend and finding within that information, what can we discover as it pertains to black equity, wealth equity, and creating a more equitable society overall. So without further ado, we can jump right in. Uh, I wanna start off today's uh, conversation uh, talking about some of the biggest givers and talk about what's going on in the world of philanthropy. I believe that is uh, where we should start beginning our conversations. Uh, you know, there is this, and those who know, know that there is a cup of coffee in my hand. Uh, actually, I drink uh, this herb called Tongit Ali, uh, for those who were asking. Um, and it it tends to to really smooth things out as you start your day. Uh, So that is what we're drinking today. Um, But there is this weird quote that has been circulating the social media world. And I want to tackle it. By the way, most things that I talk about, I am just studying ideas. It's not personal to the people that these ideas just happen to come from. But there does tend to be a pattern in uh, misaligned thinking with misaligned people. That doesn't mean that everybody who is misaligned uh, is always thinking wrong and everybody who is aligned is always thinking right. But there does seem to be a pattern that I've noticed where you'll start seeing some of these crazy ideas come from the same groups of people over and over and over again. Um, So we're going to look at some of this today and uh, see what we discover. Okay, so there's this idea out there that the quote was something like, sit me with where the hustlers are, right? (laughs) So there's this idea, I know, it's tough. It's tough, y'all. It's tough for me to, these ideas that go out there, I have to actually see them, process them, and say, well, why would someone think like that? There must have been a time where being a hustler was the thing, right? You know, that street uh, terminology. And so people are proud to sit with the hustlers, and hang out with the hustlers, and they don't want to sit with no one else, right? And my thought process is, I'm not saying anybody who's out there is thinking wrong. My thought process is, is sit me with the philanthropists. Sit me with the people who are giving out the most money, right? And doing it ethically, not just uh, hiding money. And so we are sharing our screen now for those who are uh, watching on uh, Spotify. And I just wanted to pull up some of the things that are going on in the world of philanthropy. There was a really great article, an opinion article 
about a new award puts focus on how philanthropy can do more in the South. And for our international listeners, when they're talking about the South, they're talking about the Southern states. It says here, Fayetteville State University students get some Black voter Voters Matter shirts and masks during the HBCU Voters Day, a nonpartisan effort to help the 40,000 students at North Carolina's historically Black colleges and universities fully participate in this year's election. Uh, so that's interesting that uh, that is being targeted to uh, North Carolina HBCU. What else is going on in the world of philanthropy? Let's see. Um, a roll falls. Progressive donors need to follow the rights playbook, fund grassroots organizations fighting state battles. And I was having this conversation recently about funding grassroots organizations, grassroots media. Some people call us grassroots media. Yeah, I can see it. There is definitely the element of grassroots, uh, but it's designed that way on purpose. I would say that we are in a very advanced grassroots because we have connections to top ecosystems around the world, right? So people may go to our Instagram and see, oh, they only have 20 something thousand people. What are they really doing? But we specifically are aligned with people who all have 20,000 people or all have 50,000 people. And so it it could be deceiving if you just look at it on its face value and only see the 20,000 people, not knowing that every single connection we have is tied to its own ecosystem of its own people, right? And so once you start adding up those numbers, we're really in the millions of people that we can have direct access to at any given time. A lot of people miss that, okay? Uh, I bring that up because they were talking about funding grassroots organizations here. Uh, What else? I I think it's important to look at uh, somewhat where the money is headed and deciding, you know, how that plays into uh, your world. Our uh, annual philanthropy, 50, top donors return to pre-pandemic causes in 2021. So let's look at the, the top 50 uh, philanthropists and see who they are and what would you need to do to get on this list if you even cared about it. Uh, Maria Demento, Maria directs the annual Philanthropy 50, a comprehensive report on America's most generous donors. She writes about wealthy philanthropists, art organizations, key trends and insights related to high net worth donors and other topics. Okay. So Maria is somebody I would definitely want to uh, reach out to and have a conversation with. Uh, I think there's actually a lot of synergy there. Uh, she's a senior reporter over at the Chronicle of Philanthropy. I'll definitely uh, let her know that she's doing really great work. But I want to see who's on this top 50. Just, just to get an idea. It's interesting that when you click on that list, it doesn't mention it there. But let's see. Oh, here we go. We might have something here. All right. Okay, so they want us to to sign in in order to uh, view the article. So we'll come back to this later. Uh, We we started off the episode here trying to look at uh, what's going on in the world of philanthropy. And uh, towards the end of the episode, we will go over the top 50 um, 
philanthropist towards the end, okay? All right, so let's get to our first story of the day. Our first story of the day actually comes from Elon Musk. And I know people have been waiting and waiting for me to talk about this because I've been tweeting about it and putting it on Instagram. I'm letting everybody know. And I've been talking about the Elon Musk thing before it was a sexy thing to do, right? Before it was a sexy thing to do, I was on it hard, but it was for a different story. I think it was last year or beginning of this year. I have to check the date on it where it came out that uh, Tesla Motors, which is a company that Elon Musk um, started and, and runs. I'm not sure if he runs it day to day, but uh, he definitely has his hands tied to uh, Tesla Motors. They had a uh, racial discrimination lawsuit um, that actually was paid out and later was negotiated down. And um, we were on that early and a lot of people were ignoring it. I mean, it just kind of went and it came and went. And all the, all I was saying this earlier, a lot of the people out there who are Tesla users, a lot of them buy their Teslas for like a status symbol, right? Not everyone. Some people just buy a car, but some people it's more like a status symbol. And I'll, I'll show some, I'll see if I can pull that video up later, but I've seen videos uh, out there where people are really just ignoring everything that's going on with Tesla and saying, who cares? This is our opportunity. I think for many investors, they see that Tesla and Elon Musk is on fire right now. So they're able to get in at a really great price point. And whether that be investing or whether it just be as a, a stakeholder uh, with a brand, but this is their opportunity uh, to be related to Tesla in some way, because right now they're going through, I want to say a downturn but they are going through something that isn't necessarily great for their reputation uh, because they're tied to Elon Musk. Now, when that happened uh, a few months ago with the racial discrimination suit, um, there wasn't much out there. Really, a lot of news cycles basically ignored it. It didn't become like a thing. Matter of fact, they were still singing his praises and how wonderful he is and how everything is wonderful with Elon Musk. He was at the, uh, the Netflix, uh, uh, it's no joke festival or some type of comedy festival. He's sitting front row with Diddy, right? I'll see if I can find all these, these things that are just coming to my mind, but here we are. Over the last few few days, Elon Musk has lost $10 billion in net worth in a single day after sexual misconduct claims emerged. Now, I'm not trying to cause any type of drama here, but I do want to do just a little bit of critical thinking if that is okay. So let me just get this straight. Not much money was lost when there was a racial discrimination suit. When 
key employees at Tesla are saying that they're being called monkeys, called the N-word, forced to work in uncivilized conditions. No one really said anything, especially Black investors, Black entrepreneurs, uh, Black people who use Tesla as their day-to-day way of, of transportation. It's been kind of like silent in a way. There's been very few, not even news organizations, just organizations, very few narratives about the racial discrimination suit, right? And I was always wondering, you know, by the time this season started, is that something that I would end up having to talk about? Well, here we are. But it didn't come because of the racial discrimination suit. It comes because of of a sexual misconduct suit. Now, I'm not trying to say which one is worse than the other. I'm just saying that it's kind of an interesting turn of events that the sexual misconduct situation has lost $10 for Elon Musk. But the racial discrimination suit and the racial discrimination as a public situation, it it didn't do much. Matter of fact, there's key people within the Black wealth movement who during that time were telling people invest in Tesla, go for Tesla, 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 right? I I know people saw these things. As the racial discrimination suit went out, the next day, some of your most popular podcasters and quote-unquote influencers, they were running, telling you how much money Elon Musk had and how he was about to go buy Twitter. They were so focused on his money and how much he had, what he was going to go get, what he was going to go acquire, and they just ignored the racial discrimination suit altogether. So some people would argue that when it comes to investing, when it comes to um, the business landscape, you have to take your emotions out of it. But somehow, some way, Elon Musk loses $10 billion in net worth in a single day after sexual misconduct claims emerged. So when it comes to Black folk, we must take the emotion out of it. We just, we'll we'll keep our head down and we'll focus, right? And we'll just invest and do whatever we want. It doesn't matter what happened to Black folk over at their factory. It doesn't matter what really happened. We'll take our pictures in front of our Teslas, We'll stun on people and talk about how we're on a social, uh, higher social level than other people. But when it comes to sexual misconduct, oh no. Now we must put our emotions in it. We must pull our money out. And I'm just curious. I'm just curious why there wasn't the same outrage for a racial discrimination. At this point, Elon should have lost $10 billion on the racial discrimination and should have lost $10 billion on the sexual misconduct. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that this shouldn't be a big story. I'm just saying, why was this? Why are we so quiet about racial discrimination? And then that led me to to ask this question, or really have this statement in my head. I just don't. I don't think y'all give a damn about black folk. And that goes for black folk too. So we got to call them out, man. We got to call out all you so-called financial gurus 
and so-called wealth advisors and financial planners and all y'all, financial podcasters, all y'all, if he didn't say anything about Elon Musk before, why would you say something now? And many of them are not going to say nothing now. They just see this as an opportunity to invest. Is there's very little concern about the sexual, I'm sorry, about the racial, the racial discrimination at Tesla Motors. But I am glad to see that somebody is holding Elon Musk responsible for something. So it says here at the time that we are recording this, uh, as of 5:23:22 at 10:14 a.m., Tesla Motors is down eight dollars and ninety-two cents. It's still at 654.98. Now, this is not, we are not here for investment advice. We are not here to talk about the markets of any way. But I think it would be cool to kind of pull this up here and just see if we can see the chart um, just to see where we are. I don't know if this even has a chart. This is businessinsider.com. But it does show that the price is, bag up oh here we go we got a little bit of a chart so let's look at it on a one year once again this is not financial advice i'm just looking at it this is tesla motors it's gone to its highest and now look where it's at it's at a really great place where some people would look at this and say well this could be a really great spot all up in a year to get back in or buy Tesla motors or whatever they're doing. So I see from a financial standpoint, they're like, they're really excited about what's going on. So this is over a year. So let's kind of cut this back down to six months and then we'll do a month. Yeah. So over the last month, it's been going down and I'm not telling anyone to invest now. I'm just saying that more than likely investors are excited if they were wanting to get in Tesla, this is a week chart right here. This is a one week chart. I can see why people based on these levels would be getting excited about Tesla because it gives them an opportunity to get back in or get in at a price point that is more favorable than being at the top of the market. I get it. Buy low, sell high. I get the process, right? But why can't you do both? Why can't you invest and say, yo, that racial discrimination thing should have been called out or the sexual misconduct should be called out? Why would you just ignore it and pretend like it's not there unless you don't care? And that's what I believe is happening in a lot of our circles, a lot of our wealth circles is let's make money and let's not care. And they're proud of it. They're smiling about how they don't care. They won't say it all out. I mean, there are some people right now telling you, you can't save our culture. Our culture is dead. We're done with them. Oh, well. I mean, you can, if you listen closely to what people are saying, they're basically telling you it's doom and gloom. Just invest in your, your money in crypto and hope for the best. All while they're sitting in front of their computer, knowing goodness well what is currently happening. But they're hiding that information from people like you and I, but they can't hide it from me because I think for myself. And they really can't hide it from our audience because we think for ourselves. But they are hiding it from people out there who 
who don't think for themselves. And it's kind of, it's, it's sad. So over the weekend, that information came out. And of course it comes out over the weekend because that's when the news dumps come. And that's why I sit down and record on Mondays because by then all the real news came out. So it leads us to a conversation on social responsibility. How much social responsibility will you have as an investor? Does it really matter to you the behaviors of the companies that you're investing in? Or do you just want to make money? That's only, only you know that. And I'm just asking the question because I thought I thought people would care about humanity. Silly me. Silly me. Uh, So after the Elon Musk situation uh, was happening over the weekend, there was something else that was kind of similar in nature to it that was happening. And I want to play this clip. I want to play this clip. All right, let's play this clip here. Uh, We should be able to hear the sound. Okay. So that leads me to our second conversation. Uh, There's this guy by the name of Grant Cardone. Has anyone ever heard of this guy? He is a public figure, Grant Cardone Capital, undercover billionaire, Scottsdale, Miami, Orlando incubator. Uh, Grant Cardone is one of those financial guru uh, guys who has really taken uh, the financial world by storm. Um, People have bought his books. I've bought some of his stuff in the past. I thought he had some really great information. I've read his book 10X um, and I've seen people implementing it and thinking uh, that they've done something that no one else has done. But we we know the books you're reading. We know the moves you're making. We're not really <laughs> impressed, right? So Grant Cardone, uh, you know, here's his Instagram. Uh, so you can get a sense of some of the stuff he's posting. Um, but I wanted to highlight something that actually happened a few weeks ago that is now relating to today. Look, you know, he's sitting down with Kevin Hart. And we'll talk about that in a second, about who he's sitting down with and um, what that all means, Right. But there was a really interesting video that came out. Hopefully, you'll be able to hear this. I know last time we had some sound issues, uh, but I think now you should be able to hear the sound. Uh, So we'll turn this down just a little bit. And let's listen in to something that was a couple weeks ago. And then I'll tell you about what I found out or came across this weekend. Let's see if we can hear brings me to the bigger subject that we need to talk about. When I say black, she freaks out. She loses her mind. They don't want I think it's African-American. No. No. You told me. Go at it. Go at it. Go at it. Go at it. Okay, hey guys. Hold on. Let's do a poll. If you are a black person, do you want to be called black? 
or African American. Put black downstairs. Put B L A C K. By the way, that is my code name at Starbucks, Mr. Black. Do you want to be called black or black African American? Do you want me to say this is a black man or this is an African American man? What do you want to be called, Blur? Thank you. I got a survey. Are you serious? Are you serious? I'm not African American. I'm black. Oh, come on. And by the way, all you white people out there, y'all scared to talk about. Y'all scared. Stop the madness, man. Talk about it. Which brings me to the bigger. So Grant Cardone says, "Stop the madness." Let's talk about it. Uh, Just in case the audio didn't fully uh, come in, I won't know that until after. Uh, in case that audio didn't fully come through, uh, Grant Cardona is sitting there with a black woman. I believe I know her name, but I don't think it's listed there. I want to say her name was Michelle, but let me double check. Which brings me to the bigger subject. That- I thought Alina and Stormy. Maybe one of her, maybe one was his wife and one is Stormy. I'm not sure which one's which, but they had a conversation about uh, would you rather be called black or be called African American? Right. And so on the surface, I guess you could kind of see this as no big deal, I guess. And then there were some key things said in there that was like, huh? When uh, Grant Cardone goes to Starbucks, his code name is Mr. Black. And then he's sitting cheering on a white woman and a black woman going at it, which I believe one of them is his wife. I don't quote me on that. I do not know. And it has kind of caused a little bit of controversy in some areas. If you're not paying attention to it, God bless you. You probably have way more important things to be going on in your life than caring about black or African-American from Grant Cardone. I get it, but I do think it's worthy of an examination, especially on a podcast called black equity. So over the weekend, I'm uh, I'm relaxing. I'm having a good time. I'm I'm really taking in the weekend, and you know I'm always working. I'm always studying. I'm always looking into things. I may be reading the book, whatever it may be. I see everything as an opportunity to grow and expand. Even if I'm just sitting sitting by the lake, relaxing. There's always an opportunity to expand your mind and try new things and think differently. And I just so happened, uh, I think it was Saturday night. I just so happened to be uh, on my phone and got a notification somehow, some way about a room that was supposedly in response to someone calling Grant Cardone. um, I'm not sure of the exact word, but they were calling him out for basically claiming to be black. And I'm looking down on my phone and I'm thinking to myself, wait, what? Like, maybe this is just a joke. Grant Cardone is calling himself black. Sure enough, I click on the button and I get taken into this dimension. Oh boy. Each room on Clubhouse is its own dimension, by the way. And so I I get taken into this dimension where, oh my goodness, there's this 
you know, there. Uh, if you're not familiar with Clubhouse, basically, a, a group of people get together and talk about whatever topic that they want to talk about, and that from that within itself is it could be fine, right? But then it becomes like a social hierarchy game. Who knows the most people? Who has the most followers? Who started this? Don't you know? Don't put my name in the room title. It, it's just a mess, a mess, a mess. Not not everything on Clubhouse is a mess. There are really great rooms where strictly you go in there, learn what you need to learn, and you go out, make connections, and it's cool. So, and that's just like in life. There's a duality to it. So I don't want to come off as if there's only one way because the people I see that that complain about certain things is because of who they're following. I've seen people complain about how horrible Twitter is because of all the content that they see, but you control your timeline, right? You control what you allow in and what you allow out. I decided to allow this topic to come because I felt like it was relevant to some of the content that I put out. And I think Grant Cardone, um, I think he... In my personal opinion, I don't know the man. I'm not trying to get to know him. I know other Black folk in this space have done everything they can to sit down to Grant uh, Grant Cardone. They've sat down on this podcast for 30 minutes and didn't say a word just so they can get him on his on their podcast. Right? So I get it. But that's just not me. And because I'm not trying to sit down with everyone and be buddy-buddy with everyone, I think I have a unique perspective where I'm not compromised. Okay, so I go into this room and there is a group of people and they are all defending Grant Cardone. Most of them are black, saying he is part of the brotherhood. He's a black man and no one can tell him any different. And as I'm listening to it, I said, is this like a parody? Like, are they just joking? I mean, he's obviously not a black man. So what is going on here? But supposedly earlier in the day, he was either saying he was black or somebody else said he was black and he agreed and it was an uproar on clubhouse for whatever you want to count that for you know there's always there's always a new uproar on clubhouse and it usually lasts for a few hours people grab their popcorn they listen in and then you move on with your life so i'm not saying that this is uh, earth shattering and the world should stop but I think it does bring up a really great conversation. One thing, one of the things that Grant Cardone was saying in that room uh, was, you know, black people, he believes, uh, actually have a distinct advantage. They have the cool factor. He kept saying that we have rhythm. But there were some really cool things he was saying. I'm not sure about cool, but there were some really interesting things he was saying about how really we have all the power, but we don't know it. And that the culture runs through us, and he'd he'd be proud to be a black man, is what he was saying. And oh, he also was saying that the majority of the people that he puts on stages are black people because he thinks that they're cooler than white people and other races. And he thinks it's a really good great win-win because of some of the entertainers, I think he mentioned. Matter of fact, he mentioned that Rick Ross was the person who deemed him black, a black man. Um, 
let me let me let me let me gather my thoughts here. When he says Rick Ross, he's talking about the fake one or the the rapper. He's not talking about Freeway Rick Ross, who's actually incarcerated uh, because he was um, a a drug dealer alongside the U.S. government. And then he had to fight for his freedom, uh, which is a really great story and something that we are going to talk about on this particular platform very soon. You know, you're not talking about the real Rick Ross deeming him black. No, no, no. He's talking about the guy who stole Rick Ross's identity and built a multi-million dollar empire off of that false identity is now saying Grant Cardone is a black man. And Grant Cardone is happily because of of the frequency he's on, he's happily to, to accept from the guy who stole a black man's identity, he is now saying that his identity is a black man. Does no one else see? If you can't see it, you can't see it. That's one thing I've learned. And I'll probably say that every episode. All I can do is show you what I see. If you don't see it, I will not force it. But there's something a little off there. And so with that context, I'm going to play this video one more time because this happened a few weeks ago. And I think it led into the clubhouse conversation that they were having the other night. Okay, I'm going to play it again. I want you to really hear with different ears this time. We need to talk about when I say black, she freaks out. She needs so much. They don't want to. I think it's African American. No. Let me tell you something. Go at it. Go at it. Go at it. Go at it. Okay, hey guys, hold on. Let's do a poll. If you are a black person, do you want to be called black? African-American. Put black downstairs. Put B-L-A-C-K. By the way, that is my code name at Starbucks, Mr. Black. Do you want to be called black African-American? Do you want me to say this is a black man or this is an African-American man? What do you want to be called, Blair? Are you serious? Are you serious? Are you serious? Not African-American. I'm black. Come on! And by the way, all you white people out there, y'all scared to talk about Y'all scared? Stop the madness, man. Talk about it. All right. So now we hear that from, you know, for different ears, right? Okay. And so they pull this black guy over. I don't know him. He could be a really great guy. I'm I'm not here to call anybody specifically out on their blackness. And I guess people would say, well, Derek, you know, you have a podcast called Black Equity. Surely you would want to be called black. By Grant Cardone, here's what I would like to be called. Mr. Mr. Moultrie. (laughs) Does that? I don't need Grant Cardone calling me Black or African American. I really don't need Grant Cardone calling me anything. It's not someone that is really in my frequency. And then when I see some of the Black people that surround him and how they like Oh, they like worship this dude. Where's where's my funk? We gotta get that funk master flex uh soundbite. 
where he says, y'all, y'all worship him. Like that, that's what we're dealing with here. A lot of you black folk worship Grant Cardone and Elon Musk and Bill Gates. Y'all worship them because you because with the money and the and the whiteness, that's what you want to be. There were people in the comment section wanting to be white. They're like, well, Grant Cardone's black. I'm white. And you know, I'm in the comments too. Like, what is going on here? But that is the current state of of our world, right? So let's see if we can find that. Uh, <laughs> now, Funkmaster Flex does this soundbite when he's talking about Tupac. Uh, let me see how it sounds. Now, this has no context to Grant Cardone, but I wanted to say this, but it sounds so much better coming from Funkmaster Flex. I'm so fat. Brendan, you're not fat. It's we'll let the, uh, the ad play. Oh, my goodness. Let me let me sip my coffee while this comes up. Y'all really worship this guy. He would have never talked about this situation. And I'm gonna tell you what I fucking hate about I'm gonna tell you what I hate. And you wanna uh, people always wanna ask me why I said it twenty years later. People always say why I said it twenty years later. I said it when the fucking shit was going on. And Biggie wouldn't have fucking died if that nigga hadn't lied. He lied. Y'all niggas worship him. That's a soundbite. A lot of people take that soundbite and they chop it down and they just say, y'all, y'all niggas worship him. He's talking about Tupac in that situation. Saying that Tupac caused Biggie's death because of all the drama and pointing things out. Um, and of course hit him up and all this other stuff and I'm here to say y'all really do worship Elon Musk I'm just I'm just being honest and maybe not the, the actual listener to this podcast but I'm just talking about the game out there the game out there they worship him they and I'm listening to Grant Cardone in the club y'all worship him now let's talk just a side note is Funkmaster Flex right about the Tupac and Biggie thing? We just had uh, Biggie's birthday. He released a new song. Um, I know this isn't a hip-hop uh, conversation. It's really about Black culture and hip-hop is in it, right? So we can talk about it a little bit here. Did Tupac coming out with, with how he felt after getting shot, I believe in 94, and feeling at the Quad City uh, studios, right? Him feeling that he was set up doing the Vibe magazine interview. Um, was he wrong? Did it lead to Biggie's death? Well, everything everything's connected. And so when you put that energy out that this pe- these people set me up and you got a group of people all behind you saying, oh, that's the guy who set you up? <sighs> right? So I can see where Funkmaster's flex is coming from. And I know he's emotional because, and this is an old clip, by the way. This wasn't yesterday or anything. Um, I know he's emotional in the clip because he cared about Biggie. Um, it's, a tough, it's a tough call, but everything leads into everything. It's the butterfly effect. Not only did Tupac calling him out possibly lead to his death, 
but something as small as who he signed to could lead to his death. Nobody wants to talk about that side. Nobody talks about, well, maybe because he was signed a bad boy that led to his death. Nobody talks about that, right? But even today, people ignore that side and their goal right now, and they'll sign with Diddy, whether it be on Bad Boy, his new deal at Motown, Comb Enterprises. There's people right now that are flocking to go work with him because for many people, money talks. And I would also put Diddy in, or what's his name? Puff Daddy Diddy Love, right? Uh, Sean Combs, I believe is his name. So a lot of, I would put him in that same category with Elon Musk and uh, Grant Cardone. Y'all worship him. And it's not even them. You worship their celebrity and their money. And, you, and a lot of people don't have any critical thinking for themselves. And so I'm sitting there and I'm listening to it and they're going at it for hours about how it's wrong to attack Grant Cardone. He's a black man. If he said he's a black man, leave him alone. And I'm just like, wow. And then of course, another room gets started saying, how could y'all all sit over there and allow this guy to infiltrate the our culture and our community? And when you see it, it may, I mean, look, man, Let's just pull up him and the fake Rick Ross and see what they're, what they're talking about. How much do you like real estate? I love real estate. Why? Wow. I, I love real estate because one, growing up, nobody I knew had it. It was just a discussion. It was like hearing rumors when you heard, oh man, he owned two acres. Two acres? What he do to get two acres? That's how it was. So I knew that would always drive me. So that first piece of land I got, it was 280. No, the, the estate was 280 acres. You know, I own multiple homes. Um, you know, that's 30 what I restaurants. The most. Yeah. Why is money important? Oh, man, it, it, that's the foundation of your last name. That's the foundation. That's how I get up and hustle every day. Like my life depending on it. Mm. So in that clip, is Rick Ross wrong? Well, there's a, there's a, there's no right or wrong in this thing, man. There's just people who are going to be aligned with what you're going and people who aren't aligned, right? Shout out to, I don't even know Rick Ross's real name. I guess we can look it up. What is Rick Ross's real name? Let's pull it up, man. Rick Ross, real name, William Leonard Roberts II. So when William is talking with Grant Cardone in that clip, I'm not going to say he's wrong or not, but he says he loves real estate. Now, where I'm from, the love of money is the root of all evil. He didn't say he loved money, he said he loved real estate. So he's kind of sidestepping it. But if you listen closely again, he's basically saying he loves money. And you got to look at when he does this with his hands. Listen again. But if you don't see it and you disagree, that's fine. I'm just telling you what my eyes and my discernment is telling me. In this clip, 
he is telling you he loves money. And Grant Cardone actually was trying to give him an alley-oop. He was asking him, why do you like real estate? He doesn't, uh, Rick Ross doesn't say, I like real estate. Oh, no. He goes a step further. How much do you like real estate? I love real estate. Why? Wow. I, I love real estate because, one, growing up, nobody I knew had it. It was just a discussion. It was like hearing rumors when you heard, oh, man, he owned two acres. Two acres? What the fuck you do to get two acres? That's how it was. So I knew that would always drive me. And so that first piece of land I got, it was 280. No, the, the estate was 280 acres. You know, I own multiple homes. Um, you know, that's 30 restaurants. Most. Yeah. Why is money important? Oh, man, it, it, that's the foundation of your last name. That's the foundation. That's how I get up and hustle every day, like my life depending on it. So I want to talk about that last part, now that we've heard that a second time. Uh, money is the foundation to your last name. I can see where he's going. I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with it. Whenever you see me trying to move back and forth, I'm taking that idea and I'm doing my best, my very best to understand his perspective. Is money the foundation to your last name? Can be. Let's see what Kevin Hart has to say with Grant Cardone. Real estate. I love real estate. Real estate is just one thing that you know where your money is. That money's in the ground. Regardless of what's going on in the world, people are always going to need places to do business, places to live. They're always going to need places. The more that you can achieve, the more that you're always going to have revenue coming back to you. You like real estate. I love real Grant estate. Grant Cardone asked again, why do you like real estate? Kevin Hart says I love it. Who else? Who else has he sat down with? Because he said he sits down with a lot of black uh, people because they actually have more of a cool factor. They have, uh, they bring a different audience. So he does his very best to try to sit down with black folk. Most of the people on his page are white folk. If we're just being honest. I'm just looking, you know? Let's see what's, what Snoop's here. Let's see if Snoop. College is not teaching you for the technology no, exactly. of right now. Exactly. And the government is talking about giving free college to everybody. They're making slaves, man. That's exactly free. what they do. It's like so, free anything. They're going to trap what I, Let's go wake up urban America. I was about to say that. The first city I'd like to attack is Inglewood. Inglewood is doing great things right now. They yeah. got the new stadium built. They're doing World Cup. They're doing WrestleMania. They're doing Let's the go Super there. Bowl. Let's go there. Let's go to Inglewood. Let's go. I'm Inglewood because if we go to Inglewood, that's an entrepreneurial place right there. Let's go, they man. Really get Those it. kids just, want money. Yes, they, they do. want money in there. They, they can't all be rappers and athletes. They don't know how to get it. They yeah. only know rap they, athletes. They, they, they got a better chance of being me than they do you. But see, they don't know that. In my career, unlike your, I mean, yours has lasted a long time. Most of these guys have five years. Not even that. I've been it's doing three this. Three year one. Year. Yeah, exactly. I've been doing this since I was 25. Man, I respect it. So how, how do we stay in contact? Kevin, get him my okay. number. Give him my lighter back too, Graham. You ain't I like that conversation. I like where Snoop's coming with that one. I respect uh, that standpoint. Uh, Snoop is telling you what he thinks about um, about colleges and how they're misleading people, and if they're giving you free education, then that's a trap. And you know they they do say despise the free lunch, right? I'm just going through this page to see. He says he specifically works with black folk because they have the cool factor. That's what he said in Clubhouse. 
So I'm just going through and seeing who are these black people that he's referring to. Uh, Magic Johnson. We'll see what Magic had to say. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Urban Magic Johnson. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Number one, you want to be successful. You got to believe in yourself. I'm standing on this stage is somebody told me you can't go from being a basketball player to the boardroom. That fueled me to get mentors so that I could learn business. Okay. So what, once again, he's leveraging black people, their cool factor to bring them to the table and attract an audience. So basically I'm trying to say this the nicest way possible, Grant. You are exploiting our culture. And exploiting doesn't necessarily always mean a bad thing when we look up the definition. But you are finding the people who have the audience and you're bringing them on stages. And many people who look like me have followed Grant Cardone's uh, motto and they're using celebrity to do the exact same thing so then they can pump their fists in the air and say, look what I did. It's all ego, right? But if it's working for them, it's working for them. Uh, let's get one more time. And by the way, I've gone through a lot of these. I've only seen maybe four or five times where he's sitting down with a black person because he specifically says, you know, hey, I most of the people on my stages are, are black. And I'm not saying that that's not true. I'm just going through his Instagram and saying, does that align? But who is this person? I see a black face. Cars you got, Which the kid? I think I got six cars. But you seen the new Corvette? And I don't look at that. <laughs> Come on, bro. Y'all know you seen the new yeah, just leave that alone. Stop it, man. When you're 40 years old, nobody's going to remember the car you drove in 2020. You need to put yourself in a position to buy a that's a he has a great point and i actually agree with grant cardone on that one a lot of us waste our our money we should just go get the company we should be acquiring companies at least a, a percentage of the company. If we're not acquiring the company, what are we doing? I agree with Grant on that one. That's that was sound advice. Oh, there's this, uh, there's uh, that person that is trying to steal our identity. Do, like at some point, do you take into consideration? Okay, I yeah, am a superhuman. Okay, like, I, I I do not consider myself better than anyone, and this is why. Oh, this is interesting. Uh, Grant Cardone, fear is the great indicator. Be sure to follow my friends. Sleep is for suckers. Now, remember, last episode, we went through and told you about sleep deprivation being one of the number one ways that uh, people in America are dying. I'm sure it's in other countries as well. But here we are. Grant Cardone is pushing out the agenda that sleep is for suckers. And this is why many people in the culture are so confident. So we're starting to see all the different people Don has propped up. And this gentleman here doesn't have a name listed, but his he says it's his friend, Sleep is for Suckers. 
Now, there may be some really good gems in this, but I do find that interesting of who Grant Cardone is sitting down with. Do, like at some point, do you take into consideration? Okay, I Never. am a superhuman. Okay, like you're 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 like a superhero. Like somebody that moves like that. So I was actually. So um, this no- gentleman is saying Grant Cardone is a superhero. But Spider Man, Spider Man, or Superman, or Batman, they don't slow down for the people, man. Yeah. Oh, hold on a second. I'm going to lose my skills. Why would you do that? You know, I don't want to lo- give my superpower ups to fit in. Then I'm not a superhero anymore. Mm. You know, I don't have any. I don't have any like God given any more than anybody else. I've just developed my skills, my courage, man. My courage is like you, you develop courage. Everybody's got it, but most people don't de- build the muscle. We all got muscle and we all got bones, but some people develop it. Some people don't. And like courage, courage is to take action in, in, in the face of fear. And, and I've just learned how to do that. Is there something that you're afraid of though? Oh, everything. doesn't mean... If you're courageous, you had fear. It's really weird, the questioning here. They're treating Grant Cardone like he's God. Is there something that you're afraid of? He's human. That's what I'm saying. There's a different frequency that is out there. And I just, like, my mind can't wrap around following Grant Cardone around, holding my pillow in my hand, and being all intimidated by this dude. Is there anything that you're afraid of? You're a superhero. Like, what the hell is going on in the black community? If you do something and there was no fear, that's not courage. There has to be fear. Gotcha. If you do something and you're not afraid, it's not courage. There's no courage. You just did something. Shit, that was easy. For you to be courageous, there had to be fear before it. Yeah, I find that interesting. I think if you go back and look at this Sleepers for Suckers guy, he's holding on to his pillow. Like, at some point, do you take into consideration, okay, I I was so excited to talk to this guy. It's weird. Like, you're like a superhero. But it makes sense. These are the same people who are trying to steal our name and go do a conference with it. Like, just we like the frequency and the vibes of these people is disgusting. Who else do we have? I've been going down this page, finding all the black people that Grant Cardone says he's put on. And I'm starting to see a trend here. You have a fake Rick Ross. You got a sleepers for suckers dude. You got a Kevin Hart who says he loves real estate, which could be code. Rick Ross, the fake one, is saying that he loves real estate. Kevin Hart says he loves real estate. I like the Snoop Dogg conversation from the clip that I saw. And then you got a sleepers for suckers dude who was telling people do not sleep, even though we know sleep deprivation is the number one cause of death. So it's not just, see, Grant Cardone is running around saying, well, I put black people in position and that's who I would rather choose. But which black people are you putting in position? And why are they worshiping you? Y'all worship him. Can we play the clip again? Y'all worship him. Laid them both down. People always say, why well, I said it 20 years later. I said it when the fucking shit was going on. And Biggie wouldn't have fucking died if that nigga hadn't lied. He lied. 
Y'all niggas worship him. A lot of y'all worship Grant Cardone and Elon Musk and y'all, but then you attack me. They'll they'll hold their pillow and sit next to Grant Cardone and be all so excited. Like, gosh. But then they hate me. They hate themselves. These guys hate themselves so much that they're looking up to a Grant Cardone instead of looking at Grant Cardone. You're like a superhero, my guy. What is going on in the black community? There's a there's a there's a sense of lack of love for themselves to allow Grant Cardone to run wild and call himself a black man on, on Clubhouse. Oh, here we go. Another Kevin Hart. Let's see what Kevin says here. I don't want to be comfortable. I don't want to live with the mindset of nothing's going to change. It's going to be like this forever. Because when it isn't, now what the fuck do I do? I thought that it would be. I've been in this unrealistic mindset for so long. What what, what do you do with your money to prepare for that? Do smart things. Uh, I'm heavy investment. Real estate. We just started a... uh, Who loves real estate? Uh, Real estate. Why Um, why do you like real estate? I I love real estate. And, you know, real estate is... It's a longer clip from the one from earlier. So you just recycled that same clip. Uh, is a longer version of it. Okay. Let's see. We'll find... I know I said one more earlier. I'm just finding this actually very fascinating of all the black people who have sat down with with this guy. And... Oh, here we go. Usher. These are the black people that he has brought to us and put on stages. And, and so, like, along the way, have you ever lost your passion? Like, have you ever lost, hey, what am I doing? Where am I going here? Hmm. Why am I doing it? I think there have been times where I felt discouraged. Um, I don't think I ever wanted to completely give up. I think, if anything, um, I didn't feel like I had enough family around me. And I think this is when I began to understand that I'm not just doing this for the money and the diamonds and the cars and the planes and the, and the things like that. That's not why I'm here. I, I want to be around my family. I want to make my family feel the same way that I feel. I want to look over and know that I'm sharing the That's success. That's a great with answer. I like that answer. I, lo- I like when people can sit toe to toe with someone and not hold their pillow and, and start calling people superheroes and God. So then, <laughs> we, we got a. Uh, I love talking we got about money. Mayweather. Watch this video if you like money. Okay, <laughs> this could get interesting. So then, <laughs> I love talking about money. Like so, I love, I love talking about I, I, all these other. I've had people up here say money doesn't matter. I'm like, it's because you already got it. Well, you got to realize this. This is the reason why money matters. Okay. Without money, you can't buy food to live, to be alive. So money, you, you have to have money to be alive. Um, but I believe in creating generational wealth. You know? Yes. So let's dispel that. Do you have to have money to be alive? Or have they programmed you to think that? When you look at investments today, Floyd, what do you look at for... for 
Is it a feeling? Is it a, is it, is it, is it, does it have to make sense to you? Is it something you like? If it's something that I know is paying off, lucrative and heavy, I got to go with it. I have to go with it. How much do you like real estate? I know, I know you own some real estate. I got $2 billion worth of real estate. I'm going to 10. So they're like, hey, maybe, maybe you partner with Floyd, you know? Um, Create a new fund. Well, Mayweather Cardone Fund. Well, you know. <laughs> well, that's what I invested in from the beginning. The first, the, the first time I invested, my first investment was real estate. Wow. I went from um, commercial real estate, huge, uh-huh. um, skyscrapers, actually. So I own, actually, what you I own. You're bragging now. No, I'm not now bragging. Now you're bragging. No, no. Well, you can I, brag, man. Shit. No, no, no. Actually, what I, what I own right now is nine skyscrapers. Uh-huh. And um, I'm, I'm, building, I'm building my 10th skyscraper right now. So I own nine skyscrapers, and I'm building my 10th skyscraper. That's awesome. So, so when, when, when Floyd got here this morning, Jared was like, hey, should we do a briefing? And Floyd says, I am the briefing. I am the briefing, dude. We ain't got to do a briefing, okay? Um, tell me about your watch collection. Right, so I just right. went into his stuff. And it sounds like a really great conversation. Um, I'll just say that a lot of these people are just celeb- they're celebrities. And so he's leveraging celebrity in order to attract a crowd. And that is, I mean, it is a strategy and it is cool. Um, and from that, people go on Clubhouse and they want to stand next to him. And they, they gravitate towards him. But at this point, it just kind of feels like uh, a lot of Black people worship Grant Cardone. And I think we saw at least one who was holding a pillow worship this guy. And it's sad. It's really sad what's going on. All right. It leads me to my next conversation. I had this realization, actually, the next night, people were... um, you know, kind of coming from that Grant Cardone conversation. And it brought me to this thing called classism. There was, uh, let's unshare the video here and let's talk while we pull up the next video. Man, I saw some, some I, I was on uh, the next day, people were still talking about what was going on with Grant Cardone and everything else. And we started having a conversation about that. Is it really about racism, you know, what's what's the issue in in America and other places, or is it about classism? And what does classism really mean? And it got my mind really moving. It was a really great conversation, very calm conversation. Um, And I wanted to explore something here. I wanted to explore why do we operate from a class situation. I feel like a lot of people are trying to get to this imaginary top and they'll do whatever it takes because they're trying to get to a new class system. That's what it feels like. Now, I could be wrong, but that's what it feels like. Uh, So let me see if we can pull up a video that 
surfaced the other day. And I think it actually speaks to the classism that's going on. Let's see if we can uh, pull that up here. Because when I'm when I'm listening to when I'm listening to these so-called gurus. Oh, here we go. All right, you probably couldn't hear that, but the video was playing without me pressing it. Um, so I want to pull up. There was this video from uh, a group of people called the Circle of CEOs, something like that. And this video was floating around. Oh, here we go. It was the title of the video was. The title of the video is Why Let White Guys Have All the Fun. And, you know, it comes from that, 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 that book, I believe Reginald. I don't want to say the wrong name here, but basically the book is called Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? Why should white guys, let's get the right name of the, the author. Why should white guys have all the fun? And it was written by Reginald F. Lewis. I just want to make sure we get his name right. And he, let's see what the bio says. Because uh, he's one of the early people that was uh, black people who were on Wall Street. Oh, here we go. Let's see what the description says. Uh, how Reginald Lewis created a billion-dollar business empire, a serviceable. Well, they're not giving a full description here, but it's a really great book. If you never read it, read it. Okay, so they're taking that title, and this is the conversation they've decided to have. And I think we're going to get into our next topic here. All right, why, why, why let white guys have all the fun? Uh, and it's by the circle of CEOs. It says this topic needs to be addressed. We must make being minorities, make being minorities and a part of the 1% club normal. Okay. <laughs> it's a five minute clip. So I don't know how long, how long we'll listen to it, but let's see. It doesn't tell me who's in it. Um, so let's see. A couple of weeks ago, I was in, uh, I was in Miami and, um, you know, Shot to Earn Your Leisure, I was in the room while they was interviewing um, uh, Master P. And, um, you know, I just came, I went in the room to say, like take some jewels or whatever. And uh, one thing that he said, he was like, look, everybody that's an entrepreneur, like everybody need to read this book. And I'm going to be real with y'all, like I don't really read books like that, right? Like I might do an audio book on a flight or something like that, but like I ain't really no reading a book type of dude. Um, but the title was just so, so catchy. The title was, Why Let White Guys Have All the Fun? which that is not the name of the book. Why should white guys have all the fun is the name of the book. But okay, well, we'll keep going. So like when you first hear that title, you know, you're like, okay, this is like a little, uh, you know, I don't know if it's racist. I don't know. I don't feel like it's racist, but this is like, I wanted to learn more about what the title meant. So growing up in Brooklyn, growing up as a black man in America, it's almost like, you feel limited, like you feel like, okay, this is the lifestyle that, you know, the other races lived and this is what we're um, uh, subject to have to deal with. Like, okay, yeah, we could be a rapper, we could be a, you know, athlete, like that was more so like our made it. But then I realized that like, yo, like once I started getting around the right people, once I started like getting in uh, certain rooms and the conversations changed, I realized like, yo, 
there really is no color barrier. And I, even with my industry, let's say trucking, right? Trucking, growing up, everybody looked at it as a as a as a as a white industry, and it is like majority of the people that's a trucking are Caucasian, and it is what it is. And I've even seen it when I went to the conventions. I go to Louisville, Kentucky once a year to the Matt's truck truck show, and it's so funny. This is the biggest truck show in America. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people fly into Louisville, Kentucky once a year, and it's a trucking seminar. They have like tricked out trucks. Um, they do seminars, uh, you know, educating people in trucking. But it was so funny. You'll see all these people, but you'll be able to count like one by one how many minorities was in the crowd. And I think in trucking, a lot of people think that, you know, that of my race, that we're just supposed to just drive the trucks. Like you didn't really see many of us owning the companies. Um, it didn't seem really realistic. And I'm just happy that we had the opportunity to show people like, look, you can be a minority and dominate in this industry, right? And that's what we represent. We represent the underdogs, like the underachievers, I mean, the underqualified that overachieved. So if anything, these last, especially like these last two years, um, you know, what I've been exposed to, just being around my circle of CEOs, um, seeing the accomplishments that um, everybody's accomplished, like the stuff that, that, that I've seen, the stuff that we've accomplished, it, it didn't seem realistic. And, um, and, and we've definitely broken down those barriers. Like why let the white guys have all the fun? Um, I never read the book, right? But just piggybacking off the synopsis that he kind of just weighed in on is that sometimes our community can be blocked in, right? And what I looked at is that not only are we blocked in about what we can re uh, achieve in different industries, we're also blocked in in regards to the level of success that we can reach, right? You understand that I want to say the, it's the, to be a one percenter, you have to make 400000 a year. And 400000 a year, out of the Americans that are one percenters, under 12%, less than 12%, less than 10% are black. What does that mean? That means that less than 10% of the United States, out of everybody who's successful, 10% are black. What that realizes and what I've been able to accomplish and go, listen, I've been able to become a one percenter, yes. All of my friends have become one percenters. I have empowered other people to become one percenters. At $400,000 a year to be a one percenter, the thing is that I make what a one percenter makes in a month. But growing up mentality, we were locked in and blocked in to not think that that was even a, even accomplishable, right? The goal was to make six figures a year, but that was something pre-painted by somebody else. I don't know how everybody in my community thought that making six figures a year was successful. Somebody put a cap on us that we weren't able to take off. So now as we grow and we look and say, why should white men have all the fun? Because somebody put a cap on us that we got to remove. So when you say, oh, a one percenter, cool, we can make that in a month now. Then I'm living an example for my community. Not only am I a one percenter, I empower other people to become one percenters. So when Alex goes to a trucking conference and he's the dominant force in our community when it comes to trucking, and he realizes he walks into a building and says, I'm now the minority again and I'm not the big dog, we got another cap to pull off. And not only are we pulling that cap off for just for him, we pulling that cap off for the industry and our community. So when we look at it, why should white men have all the fun? Hell, they not. Because we out here now and that's our job. So we all going to have fun. And that's the goal is to understand that we can reach the next levels and we can enjoy it because life is made to be enjoyable. But just don't let nobody put a cap on you and think that and be blocked and, and, and closed minded to it. That's the goal to get to it, y'all. If you enjoyed this video, 
make sure you hit that subscribe button. All right. Hit the so like. there's a lot of good stuff in, in what they are saying. Um, but this is what I'll walk away with. We're not minorities. Like even the description was saying um, a couple of weeks. And I know some people say it's, it's semantics. This topic needs to be addressed. We must make being minorities and a part of the 1% club normal. We are not minorities. We're the global majority. But I see what they're trying to say. They're saying, hey, there was these group of people who were making money and we thought we couldn't do it. We thought because we were who we were that we couldn't do it with what they did. And so now we are making as much money as the other people. Great. But then here's what I like to ask. What is the fun? What do you deem as fun? Let me, what's this guy's name? Mr. 300 or so, what, what, what's his name? Uh, because I don't, there is this Alex guy, but I don't see who the other guy is. What, what, what is his name? Isn't it like Mr. 300 or something like that? Let's pull it up. Because they're saying, well, you know, you could, you know, you could, uh, you know, have have fun. But what is fun to these people? So let's see. Uh, isn't it? Oh, it's like, oh, there it is. It's like him 300 or something. Some weird. I'm not, I'm not trying. Maybe it means something to him. I'm not trying to call his name out. Oh, here it goes. Oh, the early leisure boys make a fortune turning credit into cash a year ago. I told him I would pay. Okay. So him 300 is is his name. Oh, him 500. My bad. Him 500. That's who this guy is. Oh, so the first thing I put is him 500 exposed Navy federal. Which one should I do? We'll do Navy federal and see what comes up. Him 500 apologizes for Navy federal auto loan bank fraud advice. Oh, here we go. Him 500 promoting bank fraud to the black community. Big facts podcast, earn your leisure podcast. So, okay, so if you're going, if you guys don't play this video, but see, now this is what I mean when you say, why should white guys have all the fun? What fun are we talking about? Is this the fun? Coming out the streets, so we must be straight to a demographic of what you said. You got a lot of niggas that's gonna come out here and be like, I ain't got shit, fuck that credit. Right? But in reality, they don't know is that if I come with a bank where I got 50000 and I'm not willing to trust nobody to invest, what I'm going to do is I will go to a bank. You can go to Navy Federal, right? Mm -hmm. I'm the best. You go to Navy Federal right now and apply for an auto loan. You could pull a VIN number off of car gurus. They'll give you a loan. If you say, okay, look, I'm going to give you a play. You go in there and say, I need 100000 right? What's your credit got to be? 700 plus, right? I give a blueprint on this show how to build your credit report out in detail. You go to Navy Federal, say, listen, I need to get 100000 You get a car guru VIN number, and when you get the VIN number, you put it and mark it down 10000 They cut you the check 24 hours. A cargo, say that again? Car, car guru. guru. Car Just get guru. a VIN number to right. apply for the loan. They're going to cut you the check 24 hours. You got 90 days to give them the title. If you don't give them the title, it turns into a personal loan. So they just legally gave you the loan. 
it ain't nothing illegal. It turns to a personal <laughs> loan. But ain't no way in hell you're going to go to the bank and get a personal loan. So for everybody out there, if you get your credit up, it's free game on this show. Then what happens is, okay, you uh -huh. got 100000 from the bank. Go ahead. Slow it up. Slow it up. Hold on. Slow it up. We're going to watch it over and over. Don't worry. Slow that shit down. Do it again. We're going to watch it over and over. You just got 100000 from the bank. It's an auto loan. It's at 3% for the first 90 days. 3%? 3 to 5%, right? Damn. For the first 90 days. After that, it turns to a personal loan. The interest rate go higher. What happens is, is now you got a bankroll. So now if you want to risk somebody money, risk the bank's money. So when you see a Wall Street trap or when you see the earn your leisures in the, in the earners anonymous, you now can say, okay, well, shit, this, they, them folk money anyway. So I put 10000 over there, test it out. See, this is where it now, but what happens is most of us will get the money and go blow it. Instead of going blowing it, you got, some, you got these white folk money. Go invest it. Go figure out and gamble their money. So now instead of rolling dice, you're saying, okay, let me put 10000 on Ethereum. Let me put 10000 in Bitcoin and see how it grows. Then you start to learn and then you get comfortable because now that's the beauty of all of us. We got communities where you can come and get with people who look like you who are making the same moves. When you got niggas out the streets making 200000 a month who look like you off of investing money. Right. Flipping less than you had. Right? They right. flipping less than you had, but they making 200000 a month and they look just like you. Mm -hmm. The issue is education and getting comfortable. But if you ain't comfortable enough to risk what you didn't risk your life for, then go get the white folk money with the credit. Come back and play the game with them. That's how you're going to get to the next level. <laughs> that's how you earn your Yeah, and at the end there, he says that's how you earn your leisure. Y'all. <laughs> so you got to be careful when they're saying, well, we want to have fun with, we want to have fun that the white guys are having what fun are they talking about and so that's why it's very it's very deceiving to say the least when we don't know what the fun is what is the fun i'm not saying don't have fun i'm not saying don't enjoy the world that you're building but i but because he's saying well you can come ride with us go do what we got to do and so there's a there's a famous proverb. There's a famous proverb. Let's see if we can find that proverb real quick. There's a famous proverb that talks about when they say, um, come with us, do not go. Let's see if we can find that proverb. Oh, here it is. Proverbs 1 and 11. Let's see. Let's see if we can pull it up on, on here so you can hear it. Proverbs 1 and 11. Let's see if someone has it already made for us and we can just click on it. I just want to hear that one scripture. Here it is. See if, see if they read it for us. They say, come with us. Let's lay wait for blood. Let us lay wait for blood. Let us 
privately for the innocent. If they say that this video is taking a long time to get to the point here, if they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. Okay, they're not telling me the full scripture here. So we're going to pull it up on a different uh, screen. And I think this is so important. All right, Proverbs 1 and 11. We did this last week. When we break down stuff, we do it live. I don't, nothing is, I mean, there's some things I know I want to talk about, but I didn't know we were going to end up on this. All right, Proverbs 1 and 11. If they say come with, come along with us, let us lie, wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. That's what he just told you. (laughs) You got to read in between. I can't put the glasses on you. I can't make you see this. They're telling you to go commit bank fraud. And then on another video, the circle of CEOs are saying, why should white guys have all the fun? So my only question is, I'm not saying anything's wrong with uh, having a really great lifestyle and and enjoying all the things that you want to do. I'm all for it. But before you go with people, ask them this. What is fun to you? What do you deem as success? Where are you headed? Why are you headed that way? Where are we going? A lot of people aren't asking any questions. They're just worshiping Grant Cardone. They're worshiping money. They don't don't like real estate. They love it. What they love is the money. They don't, see, they don't even, when I hear people talk about real estate, they're not even talking about investing in your communities and making the communities around you better. Nope. Just the returns, just the ROIs. Man, the ROIs are just so wonderful. The return, the revenue, the cash flow. What about the communities? And then you can hear a pin drop. So my only question is, what is fun to you? And what we're seeing here is that idea of classism. They're like, man, Why should white guys have all the fun? So basically they want to do what white people are doing. And so then they can make, make themselves feel better than other people. And if they, if, if, if what I'm saying isn't correct, please come on the podcast and let us know. They won't do that. They want to worship Grant Cardone. They want to worship Elon Musk because they want to do what the white guys do. But neither one of the people actually read the book. They don't really read books. Remember, that's what they were saying. We don't really read books. There's a quote about that. People who don't read. <laughs> Let's see if we can find that one. It's just fascinating, y'all. It's fascinating that we have to, the, the community has to hear this stuff. And they don't have, some people don't have other means of finding out who these people are. Proverbs about people who do not read. What should we learn? 
about people who do not read. The guy told us, the Him 500 and the Alex guy, they said they don't read. All right, let's see. Famous quotes about reading. Ooh, now, this isn't from the Bible, but here we go. Mark Twain says, the man who does not read has no advantage over the man who cannot read. That's one quote. What else do we have? Quotes about not reading books. Oh, here we go. What are some of the greatest minds saying about not reading? The man who does not read good books has no advantage over the man who cannot read. Uh, The book to read is not the one that thinks for you, but the one which makes you think. Yeah. So they read the the title of the book, said, oh, that sounds cool. Uh, Why why let white guys have all the fun, which wasn't the name of the, the, the title. It was why should white guys have all the fun? The book is not, the book to read is not the one that thinks for you, but the one makes you think. There are worse crimes than burning books. One is, one of them is not reading them. Without libraries, what we have, we have no past, no future. Books are the quietest and most constant of friends. They are the most accessible and widest of counselors and the most patient of teachers. Now, I'm biased. I grew up reading. That's what I did. I read. And yes, I did read. Why should white guys have all the fun? And I don't remember them talking about bank fraud. What they're talking about is acquiring companies. That's the focus. Instead of working for someone else, you could acquire the company and hire your own people. That's the basic thing of private equity, mergers and acquisitions, uh, acquiring. Why should white guys have all the fun? We could do that too. But these guys have perverted the message and said, well, why should, why let white guys have all the fun? Let's let's commit brain fraud. Do you not see, but they didn't really read it. The guys, they're just talking about a title of a book they didn't read, so they're talking about it blindly. And then proud to put it on Instagram and put the title on it and just steal someone else's idea without properly thinking for themselves. That's what I mean. Like, there's no sense of accountability to it. They just want to get the numbers out there. And I think it's a really cool conversation because they've seen it work already. They've seen that title somewhat work. So they're just going to uh, pervert the message and put no single type of thought into it. I think a lot of people worship. They worship money. And so they're going to do anything they can to get you to worship it too. If they can get you to worship the money, they're going to do everything they can to make themselves feel better. All right. So we're going to look at, as promised, we're going to look at uh, when we get a chance here, we're going to pull up the top 50 philanthropists and just kind of see where what we can learn from it. And then we'll head out for the day and um, 
see what else the universe brings to us. I just find it, oh, y'all, I find these things hilarious because no one is doing any critical thinking. It's just, man, these guys, the circle of CEOs said such and such. But then it's like any anytime I see some some bullshit, it all comes back. It all circles back to the same group of people. I was saying that in the beginning. It's the circle of bullshit. It's a circle of BS. <laughs> I just, I just, I don't get it sometimes. I know. Now there was some stuff in there that was good about being in the one percent, only being, um, you know, five hundred thousand dollars or four hundred thousand dollars a year, that type of thing. I respect that. That was a that was a good one. That was a that was a good one because you, it doesn't take as much as you think. It doesn't take as much as you think to be in the one percent. I agree with that part. But how you get there is important too. All right. So let's look at, I've pulled it up now. And hopefully we'll be able to see who the top 50 are. Okay. And I think this is important of a, because uh, a lot of times I'm I'm coming on here and I'm looking at a lot of stuff that just mm, confuses me. All right, so here we go. Our annual philanthropy 50 top donors return pandemic causes in 2021. Uh, I'm not sure if there's a new one for this year yet, but this these are the top people. And so we're just going to go through them and see who we find. Elon Musk, CEO of electric vehicle manufacturer Tesla, gave donations worth $5.7 billion to an unidentified charity or charities in November. The gifts were made with no announcement and became apparent only through a mandatory securities filing. So we don't know where that money is going, but there's 5.7 billion going somewhere. Five donors gave more than 1 billion in 2021. Bill Gates and Melinda Gates topped the list, pledging 15 billion to the Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation, a huge player in global health and American education. So catch what catch what I just said there. We about, we about to get to something here. Because they're saying, why should all, why, like, they're saying, why let all, why, why let the white people have all the fun? Now we've got to really study it. They're saying, why let white people have all the fun? And then they're talking about making $400,000 a year. And then, then the next video I broke down to you, isn't that the same guy who was teaching about bank fraud, Right. Now, if you think what my analysis is isn't fair, I understand, but I'm just connecting dots that are there. Five donors gave more than $1 billion in 2021. Bill Gates and Melinda French Gates topped the list, pledging $15 billion to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They took their money and gave it to their own foundation. And so now we can ask the right question. Why let white people have all the fun? If they can take their own money and give to themselves and the foundation, why can't you? We talked about that on season two of Black Equity Podcast about having your own foundation. Why let white people have all the fun? 
Elon Musk, $5.7 billion to an unidentified charity. Why let white people have all the fun? Michael Bloomberg, the former New York mayor and financial titan, took the third spot, giving $1.7 billion to arts, education, environment, and other causes. Why let white people have all the fun? Hedge fund manager Bill Ackman and his wife, Nara Oxman, ranked fourth, primarily for donating to Ackman's Perishing Square Foundation and their donor-advised funds. So Bill is taking his money and putting it into a foundation that he has control over. Why let white people have all the fun? Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg and his wife Priscilla Chan ran round out the billionaire givers in 2021 with contributions totaling $1.05 billion to bolster their Chan Zuckerberg Foundation and a donor advised fund. Are we seeing a trend here? Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan took their money and put it into a foundation that they have control over. But some philanthropy experts argue that the largest that earned many billionaires at top spot of this year list aren't as impressive when one considers that many of these donors have seen their wealth grow by tens of billions in the last few years. A 2008 report, 2018 report by Bridge Span found that ultra wealthy American families, those with $500 million or more, donated just 1.2% of their assets in charity in 2017. There are a few signs that ratio is increasing and it may in fact, be decreasing, given the strong stock market in recent years. Wealthier Americans have, been, have seen their net worth rise by 60 to 70%, says Allison Powell, a partner and philanthropy advisor at the Bridge Span Group. It's really surprising that giving hasn't expanded more. Our focus is on getting wealth off the sidelines and to work in the charitable sector. And so I am saying, hey, here's an opportunity Oh, here, oh, one more thing behind the scenes. Giving to racial justice and racial equity organizations may not have matched 2020's levels, but it remains a priority for many of the ultra wealthy. Bloomberg gave $150 million through the grant maker to Johns Hopkins University to enhance diversity in STEM fields. Phil and Penny Knight, number nine, gave $30 million to Portland Charity that helps primarily Black students and their families. There is a huge opportunity here to talk to some of the biggest donors about racial justice and racial equity organizations. And I'm here on Black Equity to tell you why let, or better yet, why should, white people have all the fun. And this is the fun I'm talking about, not the other stuff that they was talking about. There's billions and billions and millions being handed out left and right in the philanthropy sector to key organizations. And I am here to say, why should white people have all the fun? There's an opportunity here if we were to work together and think beyond the hustlers mentality. See, when you sit down with hustlers, that's what you get over there on the other segment that we just had. All that mess that had nothing to do with anything. But when we actually study the game, like we are now, we find where the real money is. And so I'll say this, because there was a report that came out 
and I want to go over it, and it is what it takes to be wealthy in 12 U.S. cities. What it takes to be wealthy in 12 U.S. cities. So we're going to pull that up, that article up, and then we're going to get this episode out to the people, and hopefully you've enjoyed the dissecting of our culture, right? So uh, why, uh, what it takes it takes is a report that came out over the weekend what it takes to be wealthy in 12 u.s cities and see if we can what it takes to be wealthy in 12 u.s cities two hours ago it just came out today yeah so we'll pull that up and if you have any comments questions concerns please feel free to reach out. Okay, here we are. This is on Oklahoma News for what it takes to be wealthy in 12 U.S. City Survey. This came to my desk this morning. Okay, responding to a survey of 1,200 Americans explained how much money they need to have in order to feel, feel wealthy. The answer, it turned out, varied quite a bit depending on where they live. The survey conducted by Logica Research for a Charles Schwab report targeted people ages 21 to 75 in 12 regions in the United States, from Chicago to Houston to San Francisco, among others. Uh, other questions about personal finance and participants were asked what net worth it would take to be considered wealthy in 2022. Here, here's how people respond in each city. In Atlanta, it's $2.5 million to feel wealthy. Boston, 2.7. Chicago, 2.5. Dallas, 2.6. Denver, 2.3. Houston, 2.6. New York, 3.4. Phoenix, 2.7. San Francisco, 5.1. Seattle, 3.2. Southern California, which means LA, San Diego, 3.9. And Washington, D.C., 3.3. So, there's other people putting out information saying, hey, the 1% is only $400,000, right? Which is true. That is some good information. I remember looking that up uh, a couple of years ago and realizing, wow, the 1% isn't that, you know, you don't, you don't. we overcomplicate it and think that the 1% has to be some crazy number, right? And then when you look at this, it's like, okay, well, to feel wealthy, you need, depending on the city, two to $6 million, okay, right? But then you look at the philanthropy numbers and people are, are pushing out billions and millions of dollars. So you have to decide in your world what makes the most sense for you and then vibrate on that frequency. So what I showed you at the beginning of this episode are all the things that I do not want. There are some good things here and there. But I always find the best way to know what you want it's the first find what you don't want. And we found it, and then I took you here. So if you would like to be in the philanthropy space, if you would like to work with huge donors and work on huge problems and, and, and have huge solutions, we need to connect. Because there's a whole nother game being played. And it's time that we have fun with our money.
Money is our slave, not the other way around. And my concern is a lot of these people giving out financial advice, especially some of the people that we talked about today, holding pillows and asking Grant Cardone why he's superhuman. They're a slave to cash. And because they're a slave to it, they're not getting any sleep. I'm Derek Moultrie with Black Equity Podcast. And I'm looking forward to what the week has in store for us. If you'd like to connect, we're going to have a telephone number. Matter of fact, I'll just tell it to you now. (laughs) I'll tell you. Because I want you to listen. I don't want it to be in the notes. Only the people who are going to get this number today are people who listen to the end. The number in order to connect so then we can talk about philanthropy and top donors and where the money is and how we can have a piece of that. Because I don't want y'all to feel like you have to earn anything. I don't want you to feel like you have to commit illegal acts. I don't want you to feel like you have to go follow behind anyone else. I want you to really get the full game. I want you to text me equity. Matter of fact, today, text philanthropy at 305-590- Five six one eight. Once again, text philanthropy at three zero five five nine zero five six one eight. We are starting to see where the money is. We're starting to see what it takes to truly have black equity, and you have a choice to make. And the choice is this: which frequency? will you vibrate on? I'll talk to you soon. And I look forward. I look forward to speaking with you when you reach out. Thank you. And I'll talk to you soon.